So we are so thrilled to have Carrie here. Thank you so much I'm for joining us. Thrilled to be here. And taking the day off from your other job. <laughs> Just part of the day. <laughs> um, so we're going to try to hit a whole host of topics today. Great. Um, but we're going to start with uh, a new series you have coming out on Facebook yeah. called Five Points. Yes. And um, you just announced, she was just on stage at CES announcing this as well. Tell us a little bit about it. Why do you decide to do it? Um, why, is doing, uh, why is doing work on Facebook right now interesting to you? Yeah. Um, so Five Points is a, it's the first narrative series on the Facebook Watch platform. The other shows that have launched on Watch are all reality-based. Um, so I was really excited about the possibility of my production company Simpson Street telling this story on watch because we haven't really been in the digital space we haven't been in the short form space and I have a 12 year old stepdaughter I see how people are absorbing content now quickly on devices um, and I wanted to be in that game and and I felt like for us to be able to break ground and bring storytelling narrative storytelling to that platform would be really exciting for me and for audiences. And how, how is working with a platform like Facebook different than working on, say, network television? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Some of the, it's interesting that the people that I'm collaborating with on Five Points are people that I've worked in in more traditional spaces. So Rodrigo Garcia, who's a co-producer, I did a, an independent film with him called Mother and Child, um, and he works a lot in television. The director of Five Points is Thomas Carter, who actually directed me in my first studio film, Save the Last Dance. Um, so it, it's a lot of people who are accustomed to working in traditional spaces, but, um, and I would say, therefore we're equipped to be able to tell the story in the best way in terms of um, making sure that, that the way we're telling a story is clear from a narrative perspective and that we're connecting with audiences that you feel for the protagonist, which we have several. <laughs> um, but it's different to create short form, to think about a 10 minute window as opposed to a 47 minute window. I just directed my first episode of Scandal. And directing, thank you. <laughs> um, and directing in, in that space, creating content in that form is, a, is, is something I'm much more accustomed to. Being able to tell a story in small snippets over a period of time, there are things about it that are very familiar and things that are jarring, but exciting to be kind of entering into the space and be part of the wave of what's next. And and do you do you think how do you think about success in an environment like Facebook versus mm. an environment like network television where you have Nielsen and all of these um, you know organizations that have been around a long time? Yeah, it's funny because I I really have to think about success in two ways, right? Because the the artist in me has always been somebody who adamantly never reads reviews, doesn't look at numbers, because those are things I can't control. So as an artist, I always really try to focus on process because that's what I can control, result I cannot. Mm -hmm. um, so the artist part of me has to define success by the artistic process and the artistic result, which is really based on my intention and the intention of the art other artists and artisans around me. The producer in me is very interested in all of the data that will be collected by Facebook um, and is interested in numbers because I have to be as a producer. But I try to really separate those things out. And do you think about, you know, kind of, I know your Five Points is told from a bunch of different vantage points. Mm -hmm. Do you think about um, sort of your ability to target audiences differently within Facebook? Is that, was that something you know, appealing to you? Well, one of the things we discovered in the life of Scandal, um, when Scandal first aired, it was, 
this tiny little show that got a six episode pickup. I, I, we were all hoping that somebody would watch. We never thought we'd be around seven years later. Um, and the reason that we were able to have success, thrive, was because of this grassroots movement on social media. We really found that people on Twitter and on Facebook reacted to the show, bonded with the characters, and created a world in which we became event television, which was something that was disappearing because of DVR and, and the emergence of streaming. Event television had really disappeared yeah. for the most part, except for sporting events. But social media made our show event viewing because you didn't want to read spoilers. Um, and so I began to realize the power of creating community around content. So going into business with Facebook was really about how, what happens if we create content within community? The community already exists there. We can have groups, we can create pages and platforms for each character. You can really go to where the community exists and feed that community. So this beautiful piece of writing came to us that has one very dramatic event happening in a school and how that impacts five different people. Obviously you can create entry points for compassion and empathy with very different kinds of people through those five different lenses. Um, and so Facebook seemed like an ideal partner. But, but I, I don't, um, I think that the point of storytelling is always that anybody should be able to enter the story. Right, the universal is in the specific, but what connects us is our shared humanity. So the package is different because it's a character in Crenshaw or a character in Silicon Valley, but what is the same is the human experience of fear, vulnerability, love, ambition, and those things are, are what really allow us to enter into a story and live there and be fulfilled and connected. Amazing. I mean, I know that I definitely need to know when this comes out, so can you tell everybody <laughs> yes. when they can um, watch it? Yeah, it, it launches on Facebook Watch February 22nd. There'll be more than one episode to start um, so that you can get hooked, and then it'll be weekly after that. So fortunately, unlike Scandal, which has taken me to 2 a.m. many a night and into the ice cream <laughs> in my refrigerator sorry with five points I can do it kind of quickly yes at least in the <laughs> beginning at least in the beginning um, so I want to shift back over to social media so um, you touched on this a little bit but when scandal came out it was a bit of an underdog very right? much so yeah um, and um, you took to social media is there anything specific you guys did either individually or as a cast and um, yeah I mean why don't we start there um, it this story has become a bit of folklore although maybe not in this room in this community but um, I, uh, I had a social media consultant, which was a brilliant woman named Allison Peters, who I actually went, had the privilege of going to high school with. And she started this business and had convinced me to go on social media, which I was very reluctant to do, because I'm a fairly private person, um, although I live in the public eye. And, um, and so I already lived on social media. And I, I was reading some article, um, maybe an ad week or somewhere, about the most buzzed about shows on social media right before we were going to air, and I said, I want to get us on that list. And she said, well, to get on that list, probably everybody in the cast should be on social media. And I had never been the lead actor in a television series before, but I knew that I held a certain responsibility as a leader, and I didn't want to be like a bossy dictator kind of leader. I wanted to be the kind of leader that created community. So I didn't want to say, hey, everybody, we have to get on social media. So I called my boss, Shonda Rhimes, and I said, you have to tell everybody to get on social media. <laughs> and, um, and she said, okay, because she's also has had a real full life on social media. And so she did. She emailed the cast yeah. and said, everybody should get on and we should live tweet the show. And this has now become something that is 
contractual obligation for most actors when you do a show um, because of the impact that social has had on our show and others. But it's hard. It, you, can't, you can't fake it. I mean, what happened was our cast was so incredibly proud of the work we were producing. Um, we were proud that the show was breaking historic ground by having a, a black female lead on the show. And, um, and we were just proud of, of the work, of the writing, of, the, of what we were, the, the scenes we were creating together. So you, I think the community on social felt that. Yeah, it's funny, once you make something contractual, you sometimes take away the passion and sometimes. the authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, so to that point, um, maybe tell us a little bit about the role social media plays for you now. Yeah. How do you think about it as Kerry Washington, Olivia Pope, whatever is coming next, Simpson Street, all of your many different faces, and how do you shut it off? Um, it's interesting when I think as a producer, you know, on Five Points, we really did look at all of the the followings of all of our young actors playing high school students, we really did take into account their social media following. Um, and that's a big part of casting these days. Um, so from a producing perspective, I'm, I'm very aware of how that kind of fits in because you have built-in marketing. Um, but for, for me personally, I, I, I still remain fairly private uh, in my personal life, but I'm, I'm very vocal around the issues that I care about. Um, about equality, about justice, about um, advocacy and activism. Um, so I guess that is a, a, the section of my personal life that I, that I am not quiet and private about. Well, when I got home last night, I did a little Twitter stalking, and I noticed that Carrie was at uh, Disneyland at midnight, and so I was hoping she was still going to show up this morning, and maybe with Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> no, I wish. I wish. Oh. Yes, it was both of our birthdays yesterday. It so was. Yeah, that's please wish I Carrie a happy birthday. <laughs> and Kara. Uh, <laughs> only truly phenomenal people are born on January 31st, present company excluded. Um, no. <laughs> anyway, so maybe shifting over to the activism. Um, so first of all, I think many of you know with this, but if you've been living in a hole, uh, the role Carrie plays on Scandal, Olivia Pope, is a groundbreaking role. It is the first um, African-American or black female lead in a dramatic series on network television since 1974, older than both of us, <laughs> uh, which is kind of shocking. And uh, we just heard how Twitter kind of helped usher that into the mainstream. And um, I think we'll see its impact for, for generations to come. We already have. I mean, and there's not a single network that doesn't have a show with a female lead now. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's remarkable. And so, um, the female lead of color. Sorry, female lead of color. I yeah. mean, it's amazing. And so, I mean, how does that? You know that? Uh, oh, except for one, but we won't shout them out. Oh, maybe you should shout them out. It's all right. They no, know who they are. It's okay. Everybody, mm -hmm. do some googling and mm -hmm. like shame them on Twitter right this mm -hmm. second. Okay. Um, so uh, Olivia Pope's the ultimate DC fixer, Yes. right? She's powerful, she's a leader. Um, she's inspired me to tell Mark Suster that he should be a chief of staff someday. <laughs> uh, he uh, should. Yeah. Um, and that stature is something that's very much a part of your personal narrative. How have you used kind of um, that to, I, I guess, dovetail into your passions in and around activism? Oh, it's funny. I, the truth is I actually worked for the real White House before I worked for the fake White House. Oh. So I was in Obama's um, President's Committee for the Arts and Humanities. I worked for the Obama administration starting in 08. Um, I was appointed in 08 to that committee and, I, and scandal started in 09. Oh, wow. um, so um, unlike on the show, there was no funny business with the president in real life. <laughs> but, um, but I've always, I grew up in a very, um, I grew up in a household where 
democracy was taken very seriously. The first, when I turned 18 and could vote, my parents took me out to dinner to celebrate, to talk to me about my choices, to remind me that I never have to tell anybody who I'm going to vote for. Um, it was really treated as a rite of passage, a precious rite of passage. Um, that's the kind of household that I grew up in. So I'm very aware of the people who have put their lives on the line for me to have a voice in our democracy, whether it was young people during the Vietnam years who fought for 18-year-olds to be able to vote, or women in the suffragette movement, or people in the civil rights movement, as Dan Rather was talking about. So I don't take that right lightly. Um, and. Um, and I don't sit back. You know, there are lots of people who say that as an actor, you should keep your views to yourself. And I, I just think, um, I don't speak out because I'm in the public eye. I speak out because I'm an American, and that's my job. And I'm not going to let my job prevent me from doing so. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. So um, let's move over to, for a second to an issue that I know is very important to both of us, mm -hmm. which is uh, Carrie is one of the, um, the most vocal w activists for the modern women's movement. Um, and has become a very, very public voice and face of the Time's Up movement. Yeah. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, what you guys are learning right now, where you feel like you're, gonna, you're having the most impact immediately. There's a lot we'd love to take away from that as yeah. well. It's funny, we were talking backstage about how, um, in some ways, it feels like the tech industry came alive after Time's Up and started talking about it in a different way and you were saying, oh, it's interesting that tech kind of got um, excited or inspired based on what was happening in entertainment and I was sharing that really what Time's Up came out of the farm workers union, that the female farm workers wrote a letter to the women of Hollywood um, after the Harvey Weinstein story broke and a lot of victims were coming forward to say that, that as female farm workers, they were grateful to the women of Hollywood for sharing their stories because we are the storytellers. And that although people are saying that this is a problem in Hollywood, this is a problem across all industries. And people listen to us in a way that they don't listen to women in, in farms or on farms. And we were so moved. They wrote this as an open letter in Time Magazine to us. Um, and so a lot of oh. women in the entertainment yeah. industry came together and said, this, is, this was inc an incredible badass move from the female farm workers, and we, should, we need to respond. But we wanted our response to be more than just talk. So we began to develop what is now Time's Up, which includes a legal defense fund. The money that we raised for the legal defense fund is not for women in entertainment. It's, in, it's for women across any industry, any woman who's facing um, harassment, discrimination, abuse in the workplace can come to the legal defense fund so that she has the kind of she or he the legal this is a women-led movement but the fund is for anybody facing harassment any any marginalized person in their workplace who's facing harassment and you can be male to be marginalized um, so that's that's a big part of what we're doing um, also creating know your rights documents um, but it, for us really this is about ensuring that equity and um, safety exists in the workplace across all industries and so, um, first of all, thank you. Um, what you're doing is amazing because you are showing and it is amplified and you are inspiring all of us, the women, the male allies, to build relationships and have conversations that we've never had before. So it's been exciting to see the response in the tech industry. Um, so you are speaking to the tech industry. And hi. we have Hi, tech industry. Uh, <laughs> and you have, um, we all know the stats, but um, we, 3% of CEOs, uh, venture-backed CEOs are female. 
Um, 6% of uh, general partners in large venture funds are female. Um, and we're all working, fighting the good fight these days to try to change that. Do you have any advice to us? Like what can, it, can, what can we do maybe today, right? I think we all agree about the long-term change. And you know, when we heard uh, gender parity by you know, 2020, um, that would be, you know, there was a little bit of like, whoa, how do we catch up to that? But do you have any advice for like, what can you do when you walk out of this room? What can you do when you go home tonight? What can you do when you wake up in the morning tomorrow? Well, I think part of it is really to shift the belief around it, to, to stop thinking that if something is a gender issue, that means that it's a woman's issue. You know, we do that with race too. Like if we have a race problem, we assume that it's a problem around black people or people of color, as opposed to looking at humanity as a whole. So when we say we have a gender issue, what that really means is that both men and women are required for a solution. Um, so I think that's part of it, is to really remind ourselves that this is not an isolated incident that only one segment of society needs to deal with and take care of, that it's, it's everybody's challenge um, and that we're all going to benefit for, for, from creating more equity. I think also just listening. Um, I think we're doing a lot of work right now in Time's Up with our male allies to figure out how to have conversations where we're really listening to each other um, because I think this isn't really about anything but what power looks like and those that are in power being willing to share power and those that don't have power having the courage to step into power. So we have to be willing to have these very delicate conversations about access and privilege and power and to have them in ways where we're all able, willing to be vulnerable and to be part of a solution. Yeah, I know that that I feel like that wasn't a concrete enough answer for the tech world, um, <laughs> but it's what I got. Uh, uh, I mean, just inspire us to be aware and go do the next thing. And hopefully you'll continue to tell us how we can get involved with time. Well, I think up. also real practices. I think, you know, being able to say within your companies, what can we shift around our practices? What can we shift around our hiring practices? What can we shift around our mentoring practices? How can we make sure that when we're creating mentoring situations or creating workshops or open houses or networking that we're going outside our comfort zones to include people from all women's schools from historically black colleges I think the willingness to go outside your comfort zone is something that is going to be required of all of us well I have about 40 more minutes of questions do you think we should filibuster <laughs> no there's too many great speakers after us um, so I do want to shift gears here at the end um, to chat about what's next so scandal is coming to an end. I know so. it is. It's coming to an end. Uh, don't ask her about Quinn. Um, <laughs> uh, what, you know, so many people with audience, like with, with your brand power, your audience, your growth mindset, the kind of mindset that we see often in Silicon Valley, and we see very often here in LA in a variety of different industries, which is what kind of took you from front of the camera to behind the camera, to activist, to social media um, you know, amplifier. As you think about what's next, people with that kind of 360, um, I'd say capabilities, often think about getting into investing or you know, other types of operating. What, what's of interest <laughs> to you? Kara's being a really good interviewer, because we actually met in my living room in a friendly. Um, for one of the projects that I'm Is that what you call it, on. a friendly? Yeah, a little friendly meeting. If it's meeting. not friendly, what do I do? Like, <laughs> You're super mean. Go WWE to the ground? I actually was, <laughs> I, I was expecting some very tough questions, which you had a few, but, um, but you were mostly friendly. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in going into um, spaces that go outside of my comfort zone. Um, 
So I will continue to do that. My production company's fairly new, uh, Confirmation, which was the film about uh, the Senate confirmation hearings for now Supreme Court Judge Clarence Thomas, um, Justice Clarence Thomas, at where, in which I played Anita Hill. That was our first production, and um, thank you. Um, so we're we're very busy at Simpson Street on both the feature side, obviously the digital side, which I already talked about, and the the series side for both TV and streaming. Um, so lots to do there. More entrepreneurial stuff that I'm <laughs> that I'm exploring. Um, Basically, stalk her on Twitter, and then you'll know when <laughs> when you should be trying to ask me for an introduction. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, okay, so I'm going to end with what um, I stole from one of our LPs, Jessica, uh, which has become kind of my question of the summit, which oh. is, you ready? I didn't sure. prep you on this. Okay. All right. Not fair. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what gives you optimism for this world that we have all inherited that we're going to live in? Like, give us, leave us with some joy and some optimism um, and hope that you have for our children. <laughs> all right, I win. <laughs> you could just go back to Time's Up. Um, honestly, what gives me optimism is I think we are in extraordinarily challenging times and the benefit of that from where I'm sitting is that I see bridge building unlike any other period that I've been alive for. I see people coming together across gender identity issues to create solutions that work for everybody. I see people willing to have difficult conversations um, because they're being faced with truths that I'm not sure in the light of a different administration that we would have been forced to deal with these truths. I think a lot of us are really comfortable. I'll put myself in that boat. In some ways, I'm comfortable. Um, I think we all have different levels of privilege that we're navigating on a daily basis. But I think a lot of us are willing to look at the responsibility that that privilege requires of us. Um, and so that makes me hopeful. Thank you, Carrie. Yeah. That was an amazing way to end. We really appreciate yeah, you, you being thank here. Thank you for having me. All right, thank you so much. Please join me. <laughs>